0: If you saw God right now, what would you say to him? Seriously, if you saw God in front of you, what would you ask him? So often I think we have all these questions like, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Why do those that we love and care about have to die? You know, why doesn't God just show himself in the sky? Wouldn't that just make it so much easier so everyone can see him? why can't I have a burning bush experience when I want to work out what to do with my life? I think often we feel that God owes us a lot of answers. Do you ever feel yourself thinking, now when I get to heaven, God's got a lot to answer himself for. I'm going to barge through the gates and demand some answers. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'd be willing to look into the claims of Jesus, but only if all my questions get answered. And so today what we see in Exodus um, is a similar situation where Moses meets God. And it turns out very different, um, this meeting of God, to what I'd naturally expect. So if we sum up the narrative so far, Moses, as we've, we're reminded in the kids' talk, um, is, has fled Egypt. Uh, he doesn't want to be found out for murdering an Egyptian. And now he's, he's just become a shepherd um, for his father-in-law. Um, and he's near a mountain, and he sees something odd. A bush is on fire, but is not being burned up. So he goes over to take a look. Look at Exodus 3 verse 4 with me. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I think we often hear about the burning bush story and we think, man, it's incredible what Moses got to see. He got to see a bush burning, but not actually burning up as you would expect. But I think something that's even more incredible is actually what Moses hears. He actually gets to hear the voice of God. And I'm not just saying he hears a voice inside his head, or maybe he thinks some stuff in his head and thinks that maybe these are messages from God. This is one of those moments in history. There are a few of them. There aren't many of them, but this is one of the moments in history when the voice of God, the audible voice of God was actually heard. What would you do if you actually heard the audible voice of God? We see here that Moses... He hides his face. He can't dare to look at him because he was afraid. He was afraid in God's presence. And I don't think we often fear God as we should. When we think of approaching God, we don't realize the holiness of the one that we're approaching, how he is so utterly different to us, how he is completely perfect. And we are far from that. We are his creation. He's the one that made us but I think we often have an arrogance about approaching God. Um, Like, we assume we have the right to question him. Perhaps if we were to meet God, instead of thinking of all the questions we could ask him, we might be thinking more about what would God ask me? Like, why do we continue to fall into the same sins again and again? Why are we so scared to tell our friends about Jesus if we know just how much they need him? and that he's real and true? Why do I keep needing to learn the same lessons from God again and again? Imagine you're in a courtroom, and you've been convicted of a crime, and you're facing a life sentence. And let's just say that the crime you committed was against the judge. Maybe, maybe you'd murdered the son of the judge or something like that. Would you take this opportunity to start pointing out some of the things that the judge had done wrong in their life? Probably not the best idea. The right attitude would be to show remorse for your crimes and beg for mercy. So I think when we realize more about who we are and who God is, this has to change our attitude about how we approach God. An example for me personally is when we address God with songs of praise, so we all sang some wonderful, amazing truths about God this morning. But to be honest, I often struggle to focus on what I'm actually singing. I don't know if anyone's with me on that, but I sometimes just find myself giving lip service. And my mind drifts to other things. I'm singing about how great is our God, but I'm thinking about, you know, what am I going to eat for lunch? Or, or what am I going to say to that person this afternoon? Or more recently for me, what are they going to think of my sermon? We need to remember that the one that we're singing to is far greater than us. He is worthy of all of our praise, of our full attention. And we are unworthy of his. And when we approach God in prayer, do you ever find your mind drifting? Or when you're praying in a group and maybe that person starts praying that sometimes might you think they pray a bit too long? And you just drift. And you're just like, when will the amen come? Remember, we don't even deserve for him to be listening to us at all. Moses can't even stand as he normally would in front of God. He has to remove the sandals off his feet. But here's the amazing thing. This holy, perfect, unapproachable God has approached a nobody. He's approached Moses. Why is that? Let's have a look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds delicious. God is revealing his plan." And his plan is to save his people. Did you see how he referred to Israel? My people. The unapproachable, holy God calls Israel his people. Why is that? Well, it's because God is continuing to fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham. The promise that he would make his descendants into a great nation. That he would bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. He's continuing his great rescue mission. And he's going to do it through this nobody, this guy Moses. In verse 10, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God is using Moses, a man who's been fleeing from Pharaoh because he killed an Egyptian, to go back to Pharaoh and lead his people out. Well, things are finally looking up for Israel, I guess. After all the oppression, being forced into slave labor from the Egyptians, the God of their fathers has finally come to their rescue. And when the God who created all things has decided to save his people, surely no one's going to call him into question, right? Well, unfortunately, the one who has a few disagreements is our friend Moses. Let's see how he responds. <clears throat> Complaint number one. Who am I? Let's look at verse 11. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses doubted the Lord for choosing him to be the one to do it. You can kind of see why, right? I mean, he's, he's on the run. He killed an Egyptian. Now he's just a random shepherd in the wilderness. But look at God's response in verse 12. He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. He says, I certainly will be with you. Notice how God's response does not in any way affirm Moses of his ability to do this task, but rather just assures him that he will be with him. And this is the amazing thing about God, isn't it? That when he gives someone a task, or well, he never gives someone a task, that he won't be with them every step of the way. See, Moses leading his people out of Egypt has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with Moses, but has everything to do with God. Because he is the one that is enabling him to do the task. So what about us? How do we know what tasks God has given us to do? I think sometimes we we try and decide these tasks for ourselves, Um, and maybe they haven't explicitly come from God. For example, um, fighting to end world poverty, um, saving enough money to buy a house, or maybe enough to start a Christian foundation. Now, these are all great things, but how do we know that they're from God? Do do we have to expect a burning bush experience like Moses? Should we expect to hear voices from God? Well, actually, yes, we should expect the voice of God. It is the voice of God we hear when Jesus spoke in the scriptures. It's the voice of the apostles as we hear God speaking through them. God gives us our direction through his word, and we don't have to wait for a burning bush experience. It's already there. It's already there for us to read. And scripture doesn't encourage us to expect a sign. And what is that direction that we've been given? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't stop there. We hear from Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, in 1 Peter 3, chapter 15. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that that is in you. What does that mean? as Christians, we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. And that hope that we have is in Jesus. We actually need to be able to tell people about why we believe in Jesus. We need to be able to articulate our faith. And you might not feel like you're a gifted speaker. You might feel like you're not one of those gifted evangelists. And while it may be true that we're all kind of gifted in different ways, God asks us that we need to have a reason for why we believe in him. And remember what we just learned from Moses. When God tells us to do these things, it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of obedience. And it's not a matter about who we are, but it's a matter of who is with us. But we see that Moses, he's not just worried about himself. He's also worried about who God is. Complaint number two. Who are you? If we look in verse 13, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So when Moses asks God who he is, God responds with, I am who I am. Now to me, at first glance, this doesn't seem entirely helpful. I feel like God's kind of stating the obvious, like, aren't we all who we are? I mean, I am who I am. What is God saying here? Well, perhaps God is alluding to the fact that he can't really be described. He doesn't really have to explain himself to us. Um, He is who he is. Uh, We don't really have a right to question that. And we don't need to know everything about God, but we do know everything that we need to know and we need to be okay with that. An alternative translation of this verse reads, I will be what I will be. What well, this is basically saying is, if you want to know me, watch my actions. We are called to trust God based on his word, and then we see signs which confirm his word. You see, God's word, his promises always precede his actions. But we, kinda, we don't trust him on that. We want a sign straight away that what God said to us was true, that this is actually God speaking. But if you want to know who God really is, trust him and you'll see. Now, thankfully, throughout Scripture, God has revealed himself to us more and more. Um, he's, we know a lot more about who God is because of his son, Jesus. But often, even that isn't enough. We still often feel like Jesus' words aren't enough, that we want some sort of confirmation, that we want more of a sign. And that's the trap Moses falls into as well. Complaint number three. But what if they won't believe me? Let's have a look at Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, What if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? So Moses is doubting whether the Israelites are even going to listen to him. And if you glance back at verse 18, God explicitly says, they will listen to what you say. Come on, Moses. At this stage, God must be thinking, oh, well, if, if you really need signs, I can give you signs. And he answers by showing signs to Moses for Moses to show to Israel. As we saw on the kids' talk this morning, he throws his staff on the ground, it becomes a snake. Um, he picks it up again by its tail, it becomes a staff again. He gives and takes away a diseased hand. And if that's not enough, he says, you can pour the river or water from the Nile on the ground and it will become blood. I guess just a note here on signs from God. Signs are always used to confirm a word that God has already spoken. We don't need to have signs to discern what God's will is. God had already spoken to Moses, right? It was pretty clear. Go, go and lead my people out of Egypt. Moses should have just said, yes, God, okay. But in God's compassion, he gives Moses signs to confirm the promises that he had given him. So Moses, let's look at the story so far. He's been spoken to from a burning bush. He's been assured that God will be with him every step of the way. And now he has a few cool miracles that he can pull up his sleeves. Surely this will be enough, right, to send him on his task. But then we get complaint number four. I'm tongue-tied. Four verse 10. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. Again, Moses begins to question his own abilities instead of trusting in God. And I often hear this excuse from people not wanting to tell their friends about Jesus. Not wanting to be able to give reasons for why they believe. They just feel like they're not a gifted speaker. And this is coming from people who don't have speaking disabilities or a stutter or anything like that, who have perfectly functioning mouths. Let's see how God responds to him in verse 11. Yahweh said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. What he's basically saying is, I made your mouth, I'll make it move. He's going to help Moses every step of the way. So great, Moses has the God who invented speech on his side. He's going to help him talk. But then we get to complaint number five. Exodus 4 verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Despite God giving Moses so many assurances, the real heart behind his questions starts to come up. Moses just really didn't want to do it. I think a lot of his other reasons, they sound like cover-ups. He really didn't want to be the one to take on this task, did he? Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you're, you're inviting a friend to come and watch a movie with you? Um, and you say, hey, man, do you want to come to the movies with me? And they're like, oh, I'm, I, just, I just don't have that much money right now. And they start to kind of come up with excuses. And you're like, oh, don't worry, I'll pay for you. It'll be fine. He's like, oh, I was, I was planning on staying home and eating dinner. And you're like, oh, don't worry, I'll show, you, I'll show you a meal. He's like, oh, I've actually got a lot of study to do. And he's like, it's the holidays, man. And you just realise that he actually, he actually just really didn't want to come to the movies. And and you kind of wish he just said that from the outright. Um, maybe you've been in both, either of those positions. This is Moses right now. He's coming up with excuses. So what about us? At this age, at this stage, I think it's it's quite easy for me to 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 judge Moses' unwillingness to trust God. But I think we need to stop for a moment and examine our own lives. You see, when I look at through all these complaints that Moses made, I'm actually reminded a lot of myself. And if we take the example from before of telling our friends about Jesus, I actually come up with quite similar complaints to Moses. One of my first complaints is, who am I? You know, I'm, I don't know if I'm particularly gifted to reach that person. Um, for myself personally, I, I do a lot of campus ministry type stuff. So I'm like, well, I don't need to talk to that guy because we're not on campus, you know, and I, I do campus ministry. Well, that guy, he's, he's way out of my age bracket, you know. I think an older person should reach that guy. Or well, that girl over there, she doesn't she doesn't look like the type of person that would become a Christian. Maybe that type of person should go and share to her. I'm probably just not the right guy for the job. Another complaint that I make is I forget, I suppose, who God is, and I start doubting his promises. I'm often not willing to just accept that God is who he is, and I just have to trust him. I'm often waiting for a sign that I should talk to this person or a better opportunity instead of just trusting and obeying. Another complaint I make is, you know, what if people won't listen to me? And I forget that God is actually the one that's in control of their response. I also forget a lot of stories of unlikely people coming to know Jesus, like myself. I forget my own conversion story. Or just like Moses, maybe you feel like you're not a conversationalist, or you're not one of those extroverted types who's all out there and, saying lots of stuff. Or you feel like you'll get tongue-tied as you're speaking. You know, I think one of the most important things to, to do when you start to tell people about Jesus is just to start saying stuff, to start talking. Um, that's really the only way you get better at it. You know, you, you might feel, oh, I don't know how to answer all these questions. Um, you know, I don't know the answers to all these big questions. I don't know all the historical evidence. I don't, you know, just start talking. Ask him how their weekend was. Um, and maybe you mentioned church. See what God might do. Or maybe, just like Moses, you often just want God to send someone else. The truth is, we get lazy. It's hard. So we make excuses. I think of when um, maybe I'm on the bus going home from my job or from, from university. Um, and I'm like, well... I'm tired, it's the end of the day. Sure, there's someone there who I could talk to who's right next to me. We've got half an hour, but I'm just tired. Have you ever found yourself praying that God would send someone else to your friends and family? That God might bring someone into their life who might be close to them and who might have opportunities to share. What about you? Why can't you be in that position? Initially reading Exodus 3 and 4, I thought to myself, Moses, you idiot. But then I realized that I'm not that much different to Moses. But thankfully, the fate of Israel and God's rescue plan was not dependent on the confidence of Moses. Amazingly, God still decides to use Moses, and he remains patient throughout And thankfully, the success of our Christian lives and our salvation in general is not dependent on what we do either, but on how we allow God to use us. If Moses can use a scared, tongue-tied, on-the-run fugitive who is freaked out by everything that's going on in front of him, maybe he can use you and me. You see, despite how stubborn we can be, the reason why we can be used by God in the first place is because of what he has done through his son, Jesus. And one of the most comforting verses for me about the patience of Jesus comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. It should be on the screen. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, God, God, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So if you're a horrible sinner, arrogant, unable to learn your lesson, struggling to trust God, then you fit the prerequisites perfectly for being a Christian. God has shown us mercy, not for mercy's sake, but that Christ might show in us an example of extraordinary patience. You see, God's love and mercy is not first and foremost for us, but it's actually for God's glory and his fame. And if we deny him that glory, we're basically telling the creator of all things that my glory is is more important horribly offensive to God. God chose an unwilling servant, Moses, to lead Israel out of slavery. Why did he do this? Well, he can only do this because of Moses is just a foreshadow of a willing servant who would deliver all people from slavery to sin. When Jesus was given the enormous task of going to the cross, taking all the punishment for our stubbornness, our unfaithfulness, Jesus, like Moses, also wished God would send someone else. If you look in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. But then look what he says straight afterwards. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done in the moment where we would have forgotten God's plans and started acting on our feelings, Jesus chose to submit, he chose to submit to his father's will and that's what we've been called to do we need to trust God, he is faithful look at how he's acted through history he said I am who I am and he's shown who he is For those of us that trust in Jesus, we have God, the Spirit, in us to comfort us, to help us proclaim the news of Jesus. Think of this God, this unapproachable, holy God, has approached us. His Spirit is in us. Not for our glory, not for our reputation, but for His. We need to stop caring about our own confidence and our own abilities and who we are and remember who is with us. Maybe you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus and I encourage you find more out about him. If he's a real man who walked this earth, um, who did what the Bible has said to us that he has done and he has fulfilled the promises that God would bring a savior into the world, If this is true, then you need to know him because he has taken that burden of sin and shame for you. Don't expect that God needs to answer all your questions on your terms before checking out whether he's real or not, before checking out what he has done. Friends, we have an unapproachable God who has approached us. He's willing to use us for his glory. Let's not get in the way of that. Let's trust him at his word. Let's tell people about Jesus. Let's make that step of faith, not, not relying on what we can see in front of us or how we feel we're going to do, but remembering what Jesus has done through us. Let's pray.